630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Okay, good to have you tuning in tonight. Blue Jays in action at the bottom of the hour. They're going to be taking on the LA Angels. Week 2 in the CFL starts tomorrow. It's going to be BC at Calgary. Both those teams lost their openers. Toronto at Winnipeg on Friday. The doubleheader on Saturday has Montreal here in Edmonton at 5 o'clock and then Hamilton at Saskatchewan 8 o'clock Saturday. Our Elks coverage will begin with the countdown to kickoff at 3.30 in the afternoon on Saturday. 780-496-0063 is how you get in touch. The hotline is presented by CertainTeed, professional-grade building materials. And I am pleased to welcome back to the show on the CertainTeed hotline the head coach of the U of A Golden Bears football team. It is Chris Morris. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Reed. How are you? Well, I'm doing well. It's great to have you on the show, and I, I always enjoy talking football with you, and great that we're going to have actual Golden Bears games this season. But I, I am hoping, first of all, if, if you don't mind, I, I would like you to comment on someone that the Elks organization has lost, and that is Shona Awards. Yeah, what a huge loss. Like, not just for the team, but, you know, for a family, for the city. Like, just you, you don't meet many people that, that had more impact on more people than what Shona did. Like, she really was the person that young people that went into the Eskimos, those young guys who came in and maybe didn't understand community service, maybe didn't understand what we did as an Eskimo organization and really taught them, taught them, you know, like we're, we're going to go to community service. We're going to be involved with other people. We're going to take care of our community. And she did all of that for the Eskimos. I know when I was there, she was still doing all of it and by herself basically. So it was incredible how much work she did. She worked for them for, I think close to 30 years. And then she was with the, uh, with the alumni forever as well. So it's, you know, it's a profound loss for anybody who's been in that organization for any part of the last 30, 40 years, like they would know her and they'd know her really well. And it's, it's obviously a very sad day. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you, you commenting because I know I've seen a lot of uh, former players like yourself on social media weighing in with, with their respects and condolences to her family and friends as well, Chris. So thank you very much for remembering showing awards tonight. Other storylines that are, are, are affecting you and your team. I, well, I want to ask you about Shaden Phillip, who's a former Golden Bear who signed with the Elks. What can you tell us about this young man? Yeah, really, really high upside for him. He's a, he's a really, really long, tall kid who can run and loves to play football. Very aggressive kid. Um, I know when he was down with the Stamps, he was trying out down there. They had him at like line, at middle linebacker. He played defensive half for us, so he's more of an outside player. He's more of a, a coverage-type player and a – he plays the run really hard, but he needs to be out in space. He's not going to be, he's not going to be a box player. I don't think in the, in, uh, in the CFL. So I think, you know, put, put in the right position. He has the, uh, the ability to really, really help the Elks. So that, that'll be neat to see. Okay. Well, and, uh, and you guys are ready to get rolling. And I mean, you and I have talked quite regularly over the last year and a bit about other storylines and not playing games and staying sharp. Um, do you feel like everybody's sharp now that, you, now that you get to start a camp this weekend with actual games scheduled in the weeks ahead? Yeah, I'll tell you what, like the guys have been around. So we've had like 60, 70 guys and then about 80 now sort of around town before, before we officially open up and the guys are in tremendous shape. So that's the first thing you look for is like, you know, our guys showing up and not really, not really doing well. A lot of the guys who left town came in and joined the workouts and it was like, 
they hadn't really skipped a beat. A lot of times when guys go home for the summer, they come back and it's hard for them to keep up with the level of intensity we train with here. And for the most part, the guys I've seen have been really, really, really fit and in great shape. So we're excited. I think we got a, we got a really, really strong group here. We got a great group of kids. That's where it all, all starts. Right. And then they all want to win and they all know how hard you have to work to win. And, and we have some really talented athletes as well. So it'll be, it'll be exciting to see where we go together with the season. Chris, look, the, the history of Golden Bears football is, is not a glorious one over the last couple of decades, obviously, with the exception of a few seasons. I, I know you've gotten the team into the postseason, but there were also some tough years as well. Uh, but the last two recruiting classes are, I, I believe, both were number one in the nation. Uh, you told me last time we talked. Yeah. So, okay, so like a guy like me and the people I'm interacting with, should we be sitting there saying like, okay, like three and five and fourth play, or I guess six game season, but you know, two and four and squeaking into the playoffs. Like so that, that's not good enough. Do you want us to be talking about the program that, that you guys should be contending for a Canada West title now? Like, are we elevating the expectations to that level? Yeah, we, we should be in contention. Like we should be in contention with anybody we play this year. There's not going to be a more talented group on the field. We're not, like, I'll be honest with you, Reed. Like, I've been here, I think this is going into my eighth year now. For the first four or five, we were very, very badly outgunned with the amount of the type of athletes we had, just the number. Like, everybody else had twice as many elite athletes or three times as many elite athletes as what we had. Um, we had a few really good kids, and we had a bunch of really good building block kids. But we've built this right. We've built it around academic success. We have, you know, all of our kids graduate. A lot of our kids are academic all-Canadians. And, and we've built a team now that is – competitive with anybody we're going to play in the country. And I, I feel very strongly that that's the case. I don't think there's anybody who can come in here and take us to the woodshed anymore. Like we could obviously play a bad game, but the days of us going into Calgary and then putting up almost a thousand yards and just beating us to death, that that's over. Like that's just not going to happen anymore. Well, that's good to hear. Chris Morris, Golden Bears football coach, joined us there at Inside Sports. They get rolling with their camp this weekend. Okay. A couple other things I want to touch on. Um, Bulletin board material. <laughs> Elmondo Sewell today said of Trevor Harris, you hit him one time, he starts folding. Now, I know you maybe don't want to comment specifically on those athletes. You don't, you don't play in that league anymore. But in your experience as a player, now a coach, did you ever say anything about an opponent where you thought, oh, crap, why did I say that? Or did you ever hear anything from the other side where it's like, you know what, buddy? Those words are going back down your throat. Does that happen or does, does the media play that up too much? Yeah. You know what? I think it helps like at the beginning of a game, guys will get angry and they'll, they'll be upset and they'll play with maybe a little bit of a heightened emotion at the beginning. But after, after you get into the groove of a game, it's, it's just the game, right? And you're, you're, you're playing it at the regular level you do. Um, I don't know why you'd say something like that. I don't know what, like <laughs> how that benefits in any way, what you're doing. It doesn't really make any sense to me. It's not like Trevor Harris is going to say, Oh, maybe he's right. <laughs> maybe, maybe I do fold. Like I, I don't know what he's trying to accomplish by saying that. Like I, the only thing he's going to do is make Harris play better or more determined if he does anything with that comment. So I, I don't know. I just, I know, you know, I had a lot of respect. Mondo Sewell, like he did some great things here. Like he's a, he had a great motor. He played really hard. He was a good leader for the team. So I don't know. Like I have a hard time believing that he even said that, but I, but if he did, oh, I've he heard did, it, it's true. It's you know? true. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just don't know why he would have said it. Okay. And, uh, coaching philosophy, I'll, I'll tie this in sort of to what happened to the Elks on the weekend, but it's something you have faced in your career as a coach and a player. There are some nights, some games like you're getting yards, but you're not getting points. 
right? For, for whatever reason, either drives are stalling, you're making mistakes. You know, if it's a home game, you can hear the, the crowd getting anxious, you know, when you're punting again or trying another field goal. How, like, how do you get past that? You just have to stick with it. You have to start making major adjustments. Like, it's got to be a little a little nerve-wracking on the sidelines or when you were on the O-line to be like, oh, man, we should have, like, 24 points and we have six. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny that I, I always equate the game of football to pressure, right? You, you put pressure on other teams. And the more pressure you put on them, they start making mistakes. They start feeling pressure and then they start making mistakes. And you have to impose that on them. So you have to do things to them that makes them kind of break a little bit. Now, the the Elks could have broken Ottawa. They had the ball up by three or four and they were going in for a touchdown. And then they give up a kind of a fluky pick six that goes off somebody's hands. And so if they score that touchdown, that game's very different, right? But then, the, you know, they make that miss that, that misplay and now Ottawa's in the game. And, and you know, even though they, they kind of carried the game, I thought for the most part, they end up losing it, right? So I, I, I would agree that their coach, you know, their coach said, you know what, it's, it's one game, it's just, and, and we'll move on from that. I thought they played well enough in a lot of different areas that, that, that they showed they're going to be a pretty good team this year. It's just you got to – the problem is when you don't make plays, other teams start feeling like they can beat you. And that's – you know, if, you, if, if they make that play and they make a couple more, Ottawa – like Ottawa didn't think they were going to win that game coming in here. They, they might have maybe at the beginning maybe thought possibly they could have, but they certainly weren't striding in here with a bunch of swagger thinking, we're gonna, yeah, we're going to take this game. And they, they were just allowed to believe it for long enough where they actually did, right? Yeah, my colleague Rob Brown on the Oilers broadcast uses the word belief all the time, right? Like yeah. the, the, if you're the underdog, the longer the game is tied, maybe you get a power play, maybe – get a funny bounce with a puck, right? And I think Ottawa got the bounce on the interception as well. Okay, so uh, Friday is kind of the formal start, and then you're rolling from there? Yeah, well, Friday we have our medicals and our first team meetings and all that sort of stuff. We have our first coaches meeting tonight. Sunday is when we first, when we first start practicing. So we have on-field testing on Saturday. We're excited to see that, see the, all the work the kids have done all, you know, all through, the, uh, through the summer. And then Sunday we have a special teams practice in the morning, and then uh, – then a sort of a walk through practice in the afternoon. And then Monday we, we get going really officially. So we're excited. It's I'm telling you, like the kids are, they've worked so hard and they feel so good about coming in here. We got a real positive leadership group here and we're excited to see what we're going to do here. Right on. Thanks, Chris. That is Chris Morris, head coach of the U of A Golden Bears football team. So he gave you the outline for camp and he gave you the expectations for the season and you know the recent history of the team. They've had some winless years along the way. And he says, forget about that, just trying to win a game or two. He says, anybody they play, they should be competitive with. And uh, they are starting to expect big things with the Golden Bears football team. Hopefully things that are realized in the very near future. Okay, you can get in touch, of course, 780-496-0063. Perry Pern still coming up. It's Inside Sports on Chet. All right, good to have you tuning in tonight. We missed it earlier. The Winnipeg Jets are going to require all fans to be fully vaccinated to attend the team's home games this season. Jets making that announcement on Twitter today saying season ticket holders made it clear that that was their preference. 
Now, a spokesperson for the team also saying that this will not apply to players whose vaccination status will be up to the league and the players union. We did see in the CFL game uh, at the CFL game on Thursday, Winnipeg hosted the season opener against Hamilton. Also, uh, fans had to be fully vaccinated to go to that game. Now, that's obviously in line with some provincial health requirements there. Um, the Oilers, of course, continue to monitor what is happening in other provinces, in other jurisdictions with COVID, with the restrictions in place or not in place by Alberta Health Services, and as the Elks do as well. And right now, there are no restrictions in Alberta. So I've seen some chatter about this and some, I, I think, assumptions being made that I mean, perhaps they'll come to fruition, but uh, I, I would not say that they are on the uh, verge of coming to fruition. The The Oilers have uh, said previously, and they reiterated to me again today, they're taking their direction from Alberta Health Services. There are currently no fan restrictions. And uh, same goes for the Elks. No fan restrictions. I mean, certainly some things changed getting into the Elks game that we talked about last week, the digital ticketing and some of the uh, changes about, uh, you know, condiments and, and stuff like that and the clear bag policy, those, and s- some of those might have happened. I mean, the, the going to the mobile ticketing was happening anyway, even if there wasn't COVID. So that's just the update there. We'll see what happens. Some time's going to pass here between now and the start of the hockey season, but the Elks went ahead without any fan restrictions on Saturday. And they're doing that again uh, this coming Saturday. And that's uh, what the Oilers have in place right now. It is interesting for the Jets. And I think for the Bombers as well. uh, Because I I was hearing that when Manitoba says you need proof of vaccination to attend a sporting event, it has to be Manitoba proof of vaccination. There are some Saskatchewan fans that will travel to watch games in Winnipeg. The Jets have season ticket holders from places like North Dakota and even Ontario. And uh, the way it was explained to me was that right now, those people wouldn't be able to come in because it's not Manitoba proof of vaccination. So even if somebody from North Dakota was vaxxed, Ontario, whatever, oh, well, that's not Manitoba. We can't let you in. Now, I'm sure that can be worked on or exceptions to be made, but the way it was explained to me, that would be the situation right now and and applying to any out-of-province uh, bomber fans as well. So just some things to keep uh, an eye on there. But uh, again, the Oilers right now, Elks right now, no fan restrictions. Um, they'll keep an eye on it. I, I, I think, I, like I saw a lot of people jumping to saying, well, the Oilers are going to do this. I, I, I don't think it's quite that simple that... The Jets did it, so the Oilers are going to do it. So, anyway. Colton says, hey, Reed, how will they prove they are vaccinated? Well, if you get vaccinated, it goes on your medical record. So it's actually not that hard to prove it. You can, I believe you can print it up or you, you can, there, there's, it's pretty easy to get proof of vaccination. 780-496-0063. Tyler Benson gets a new contract uh, with the Oilers drafted back in 2016, 32nd overall. Now 23 years of age has played in seven NHL games. That was back in the 1920 season. Got one assist. He uh, got an assist in that game in Carolina when Josh Archibald scored the game winner in overtime on a pass from Leon Dreisaitl. Benson was on Oilers now earlier today, and uh, he was talking about what he learned from that first stint in the National Hockey League. 
Yeah, I think just getting those seven games, it just showed you showed me how much more work I needed to put in just to make it uh, to the NHL. Uh, it's been a while since uh, those last seven games. Uh, it's been about a year and a half since I had that opportunity, and uh, I've been working as hard as I can uh, for whenever the next opportunity comes, and uh, I'm hoping that uh, I'll be able to prove myself uh, come camp uh, in, a, in about a month or so. Yeah, camp coming up in just over a month already. Benson, uh, like I said, his stats in the in the AHL last year, pretty good. 10 goals, 36 points in 36 games for the Bakersfield Condors. Then in the postseason, the little Pacific Division tournament that they had, five points in six games, scored a couple of nice goals in the playoffs. And Benson also talked about playing for head coach Jay Woodcroft in Baco. I think just his communication with us, he's, he's very approachable and easy to talk to for us. And then he just prepares us for every game. I think uh, we're one of the most prepared teams going into every game, and uh, we're ready to go. Um, we have uh, great weeks of practices, and I think yeah, just the, the communication side and the video we go through all week long just uh, prepare us for a few games. Uh, it's unbelievable, and uh, can't say enough good things about him. One-year, two-way contract for Benson. Average annual value, 750 thousand dollars and yet another storyline to add to the list for the Oilers rolling into the upcoming season okay Perry Pern coming up in the next half hour of inside sports he's ready to go ahead with his annual three-on-three camp Perry former NHL assistant coach first made a name for himself coaching right here in Edmonton at Nate it's always fun to talk to him he's our next guest All right, we're rolling along. Appreciate you tuning in tonight. Hope you're having a great day. What are we at? August 11th. That makes tomorrow August 12th. <laughs> I don't really don't know why I brought that up. Yesterday was uh, August got, 10th. <laughs> and yesterday was August 10th. We are all over it on Inside Sports. Uh, not a lot of hockey scores to give out at this time of year. So we'll just update the calendar. There is an Elks game on Saturday. I want you to know about that. And the countdown to kickoff here on 6.30, Chad, is at 3.30, and the game is at 5. The next two uh, Thursdays, the 19th and the 26th, the Elks will have road games. And then after that, it's the Labor Day game already. They'll have three in a row on the road and then be back home for the Labor Day rematch. So that's looking ahead for about the next month uh, for the Edmonton Elks. And uh, we're approaching Oilers training camp in just over a month as well. And we were talking to uh, – had some clips from Tyler Benson – in the last half hour of the show. I am pleased to uh, welcome back to the show a true coaching legend and a great Albertan and a great Edmontonian. He's a member of the Edmonton Sports Hall of Fame. He's a member of the ACAC Hall of Fame. He's the member of the Alberta Hockey Hall of Fame. He's in the Canadian Colleges Athletic Association Hall of Fame. He uh, led Canada to a gold at the World Juniors. He won numerous championships coaching Nate. He coached in the NHL for several years Perry Pern is checking in tonight on Inside Sports. Perry, how are you doing? Very good, Reed. Thanks for having me. I, I thought I would cut the intro a little short to actually have time for the interview. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, you, you have had an incredible career. I, 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 I know generally you probably were like, why is Reed reading all this stuff off? Uh, because you're still 
heavily involved in coaching and mentoring and all all that kind of stuff. Uh, but do you ever look back, or do, or do people besides people in the media like me ever come up to you with a, a story or an "I remember when" or things like that? Well, I'm getting a lot more of that stuff now than I than I used to. That's for sure. And um, you know, it, it's great to look back and and to you know remember um, you know the past and where you came from and um, you know the enjoyment that uh, you know I got from being part of you know a, a lot of great teams and you know having been you know fortunate enough to have coached you know so many great athletes both at the college level at the major junior level uh, you know at the pro level and uh, you know even uh, the chance to you know work with some young kids that uh, you know were at, at hockey school at Nate that went on to you know you know great careers in the National Hockey League like it's uh, so it's always fun to to think about those things let's let's touch on a couple of things here the montreal canadians went to the stanley cup final you were an assistant in montreal from 09 to 2011 i i think in 2010 if i remember you guys would have gone to the east final i, I know as an assistant coach maybe you didn't uh well maybe you did maybe maybe the fans had it in for you or were picking your work apart <laughs> sometimes too but what was it like coaching in montreal and and how, what was the contrast between uh, a struggling team in Montreal and uh, a team on a roll in Montreal in terms of just the, the fan environment? Well, uh, you know, I, I mean, the Montreal fans are great. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's nothing like uh, a playoff game, you know, in, in Montreal in the Bell Centre. Um, you know, um, the first two years out of Montreal, we were, you know, we weren't the greatest team. We were, we were, in fact, a lot like the Montreal team this year. We had some good players that, you know, maybe during the regular season didn't achieve as much as they should. But that first year in Montreal, you're right. We we went to the Eastern Final and we knocked off, you know, two, you know, really really good teams. We beat. We finished eighth, so we played uh, Washington in the first round, and we beat Washington in, in seven games. And we we had to, uh, you know, come back and and win game six at home, and then win game seven in their building. And you know, game six at home was an incredible environment. Um, you know, as we went ahead in in that game and forced game seven, and then uh, uh, we played Pittsburgh after that, and uh, we. We actually played the very last game in the old igloo in in Pittsburgh in that series. We beat Pittsburgh uh, in their building in Game Seven, and then uh, you know we ran out of gas a little bit against Philly. But uh, you know it was uh, the 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 home games during both those series were absolutely incredible. And then the following year, uh, you know we had a tremendous series with Boston, the year that they won the Stanley Cup. We lost in seven in their building in overtime, and uh, we had uh, we had three overtime games in that series, and we lost all three. Like if we'd have found a way to win an overtime game, we would have won the series. So, um, uh, you know, we had two great years there, and then uh, uh, the start of the next year wasn't very good. And uh, I, I I think you know to answer your question, it was a long way around it, but. It, Eight games into that season, 
the very first firing there was an assistant coach named Perry Pern. Uh, and, uh, you know, everything kind of unraveled after that. And uh, that led to, you know, kind of the new regime that's in Montreal now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember that. And I, and I know we've talked about it in the past, so we don't need to dwell on that. But it was a, uh, well, even before you and I talked about it, I, I, I thought that was a curious decision by the franchise. But anyway, uh, <laughs> you, you've soldiered on, obviously, uh, since then. But, I mean, you mentioned those Canadians postseason runs and, you know, you were with the, the Rangers and Jets and the Senators and the other Jets, too, that, that are now the Coyotes. So you, you had you know, teams that struggled, you had good teams, you had Cinderella runs in the playoffs. And this year, you know, we saw the Oilers lose three overtime games to the Jets. Then we saw the Jets get swept by the Canadians. The Canadians were supposed to get killed by Vegas, won the series. I mean, is like every, every time I watch the playoffs, I, I always seem like I have to remind myself, why am I saying that one team is favored? I, I just feel like it's such a razor-thin margin even if one team might have been 15 points ahead in the regular season. Well, it is. Like, you know, the, the regular season is never the, the full gauge of, of how good teams are. And, and you have to remember, momentum is such a, you know, a big thing in any sport, but uh, even more so in hockey. And a lot of times, like, you know, you get, you know, you survive that first series. Like, if you're an underdog and you beat a team that's better than you, all of a sudden you grab a, a level of confidence that you you know you maybe were lacking at points during the regular season, and uh, you know that that you know kind of puts some of your best players in a position where you know they'll they'll achieve greatness for you. And uh, you know um, I, I think that you know you look at you know the past history of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, there's certainly lots of underdog teams that have have done very very well. But in the end, um, you know, a lot of times it, it is the, the the favorite who comes out on top. And, you know, as good as Montreal and some of the other teams were in the playoffs this year, like, you know, um, I think Tampa was sort of in a class by themselves. And you would have had to be pretty special to beat them. Yeah. Hey, Pierre, I don't think I've ever asked you this question before. If I if I have, I don't know if I've ever asked it this way. When, when you watch a game on television or if you get to go to a game or when we used to do that, can you, as someone who coached yourself, can you see coaching? Because I know sometimes, you know, Rob and I do stuff after games and someone will call in and say, well, Tippett got out coached. Okay, well, what did you see? And then the answer is like, well, they lost. I'm like, well, okay, but lose, losing doesn't always mean, I mean, sometimes there are personnel decisions. I've questioned, you know, line combinations, player usage, you know, pulling a goaltender, timeout, things like that. But to me, those are very black and white things can be debated. Can, can, can you watch a hockey game and, and see coaching? Do you know what I, do you know what I mean? And, and, and if, if so, what are those elements that you see? Well, like I, I do, you know, I do think you can see some things and, you know, certainly, and I think, you know, you have to premise it by saying that, you know, it's an opinion. Um, and just because you have that opinion doesn't make it right. And, you know, the, the people who sit upstairs, you know, are always looking without the full benefit of the knowledge of, of, you know, what's going on with, you know, an individual team and, and an individual coach within that team. Um, but, I, you know, I think, you know, like player matchups is always something, you, you know, you look at, um, you know, I think, 
I think, you know, how teams defend face-offs, how they, uh, and how they react when they win face-offs is something where, you know, you can, you can really see coaching. And, uh, you know, I spent the year with, uh, Bill Peters in, uh, in Russia and like, that's an absolute major emphasis of his is, um, you know, the, the face-off and, and for good reason, if you think about it, there's about 60 to 70 face-offs in every game. And it's the one time where you control all the elements of what happened uh, in terms of whether you win or whether you lose. So, you know, if you're not right on top of, of you know, what you're doing in those two situations as a coach, you probably haven't prepared as well as you should. And uh, so that's that's an area I always, you know, kind of look at and 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 think about and then you know you're you are limited in terms of you know how how you react on that based on how good you know your centers are but you you know there's both sides of it the defending and the and the winning um you know i uh, you know I, uh, over time in the national hockey league like if you look carefully at, at the stats one of the things that always just stuck out to me is how hard it was to win a hockey game if you were, you know, trailing going into the third period. And, uh, you know, I don't think those numbers have changed very much since I left the NHL. They may have a little bit, but, uh, you know, I always look, uh, you know, for how coaches are, are playing, you know, the last three or four minutes of the second period, depending on whether they have a lead or whether they're behind. Like, um, to me, it, it's a point in the game where, you know, if you're up by a goal or two goals, you know, you, I, I think you really want to defend to make sure you take that lead into the third because the percentages of you winning go way up. And by the same token, if you're behind, you know, you're, you're, I think you're, you're trying to get, you know, your best offensive guys with the guys you think that night could, could maybe get you that goal to, to get the game back to even. So, now your percentages in terms of being able to to manage a win out of the third period become much higher. So uh, that's another area that you know I always look at as well. But um, you know you're you're you know watching how coaches deal with goalies and uh, um, you know you know every coach is a little bit different in terms of how how they handle that. But like I said, all of that stuff is easy when you're looking from upstairs. It's a little bit more complicated when the coach has all the factors that he has to deal with in making those decisions. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I, I hear you for sure. I, I, I like how you put that. And, and I like how you put that about going to the third period, leading her behind, and, and even the the value of scoring first, right? Like it, yeah. Rob, yeah. Rob Brown a few years ago went back like five years and did all the stats, and it was something like if, if a team scores first, it's it's seventy percent that they will not lose in regulation. They'll either get a point or two points. Yeah, yeah, that, you know, there's a few things like that that you can look at. The other the other way I always felt, um, you know, uh, I looked at it, you know, mostly with the individual teams that I was involved with, and I started doing it when I was in Ottawa was looking at special teams and like if you can win in the national hockey league and this was over basically a 20 year span it didn't matter good team bad team that i that i was involved in coaching if you won the special teams game you're 70 percent plus uh you know on the winning side 
and you know that that seventy percent would be with <clears throat> the weaker teams, and with the better teams, like you know you're you're going from seventy you're up into the eighty percent chance of winning. So you know special teams you know are just uh, you know such an important part of of the of hockey uh, and of our game. Well. And very appropriate you say that in Edmonton, where the Oilers have had a historically good power play and uh, a really good, like an awesome penalty kill two years ago and then still a decent one this year. And I, th- I think that won them a lot of games because they're still trying to figure some things out five on five. Perry Pern joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Okay, it's uh, August, a time of year when you and I often talk because you uh, have your three on three camp. The world's been a little different the last 17 months or so. What, if anything, is going on with the uh, Perry Pern 3-on-3 this year? Well, we uh, we, we felt like we couldn't re- revive, you know, the, the kids' portion of our, our camp uh, uh, simply because, you know, the, the decisions that were <clears throat> made came a little bit too late to kind of put everything in place the way we would have liked to to run it. But we have uh, got the, the pro camp revived, and we're going to uh, be running next week. Um, it's a little bit different for us. Uh, you know, we're, it's going to be a combination of some some good uh, young major junior players. Uh, you know, guys that you know we predict down the road you know may well be pros, but they they aren't just yet. And then you know the a crop of uh, you know the the good pros that we've had at the camp uh, for you know a number of years. Many of them you know came through as uh, minor hockey players and major junior players in our pro prep camp. So that's going to get underway on the on the sixteenth, and uh, it will be our thirtieth year. So uh, we we've been doing it a little bit longer than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you were ahead of your time because. The NHL's had three-on-three overtime for a few years, but you you were saying for thirty years, hey, we should do three-on-three and open it up here. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a, a little bit different than than the NHL three-on-three, but I I I, I, I certainly you know uh, I've had enough experience with hockey schools and hockey camps to um, understand you know what this format brings to the table that is a little bit different than all those others like what it does is with the uh, you know the the top end players the it, it really draws on their uh their competitiveness and their competitiveness you know pushes them to work a little bit harder and at at the end of the day the the work that they do uh, you know at this time of year is i think a, a little notch above what you can normally get out of those players uh, without the competition. And uh, so it's, uh, you know, it, you know, we certainly have had a great deal of success with a lot of, you know, really, really good pros having gone through it. And, uh, you know, we, we have a reputation that goes all over the place. I had a phone call the other day from Don Jackson, who's coaching in Germany and he was just getting ready for training camp, and he said, "He said to me, I want to just phone, phone with, phone you, Perry, and check on the rules, because he had learned the three on three from me in Ottawa. I said, I just want to check on the rules again on this, and the rule on that, and the rule on this, because he said that's how we start training camp here. We go three days, we have a big competition, there's prizes for it, and then uh, then we get into the rest of our training camp. So um, I know that 
people have grabbed it and taken it other places. And uh, certainly, um, you know, that reflects well on Zane and myself uh, in terms of what we've been able to accomplish over the years here. Yeah, Zane Jakubek, a big part of that camp as well. Well, Perry, I always love having you on the show. We've been able to sit down and have a few chats over the last few years, and I always appreciate that you make time to come on and and talk hockey. And I always learn something from our chats, and I did again tonight. I was even making notes about the coaching stuff because I want to discuss that with Rob Brown on here when we get into the season. So thanks for doing this, and have fun next week. Well, remind Brownie that he's a three-versus-three alumni too. That's right. That's right. I, I, I'm sure he was. The, his fitness was top notch. Yeah, it, it was. I, uh, I thought we were going to lose him one day. One of the, one of the tough guys in the camp clipped him, and he got a cut, and he was not a happy man. So you can ask him about that day. Okay, that's Barry Pern checking in tonight. This is Inside Sports on six thirty, Chad. That commercial with the Gremlins is actually disturbing. I'm glad I'm, I don't have to go to bed right after the show. That would keep me up. That, that, that was That's downright creepy. It is weird, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, great to have Perry Pern on the show. You also heard from Chris Morris and Kwaku Botang from your Edmonton Elks. It was uh, David Beard, by the way, uh, fined for the chop block on, uh, on the weekend against the... Um, uh, who did they play? I already forgotten against the Ottawa. Oh, yeah, the Ottawa Red Blacks. And also, uh, James Wilder Jr. got in a little bit of trouble for having his six-pack showing. You got to have that jersey tucked in. He had too much of his belly exposed. Anyway, they're back at it on Saturday, 3.30 face-off show, game at 5. Hey, I really appreciate that you listened tonight. Dave Campbell's the producer of the show. Kellen Kennedy's your studio operator. We are back tomorrow from 6 to 8. Brendan Escott is in for Stoffer. He has Oilers now from noon to two. My name's Reed. Thanks for listening. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.